0: Camp Mosheva of Wild Rose is excited to announce the opening of our new playground at Aquapark Lake, featuring a giant water slide, trampoline, and much more. Camp Mosheva of
1: Wild Rose has built a great tradition of fun and friendship for over 70 years in a great
2: religious Zionist program. We offer a $1,000 new camper incentive. Spaces are still available for campers in grades 3 to 10. Call us at
3: 847-674-9733 or visit www.moshevawildrose.org.
0: Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, and Israel. Welcome aboard to the Noahide Nation show here on Israel National Radio. It's great to be here. It's great to have you with us. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and my good friend and colleague, Adam Penrod. Hello, Adam. Hey, Ray. How you doing? I'm doing well. You doing all right? Ray, I'm
3: so excited about our next guest that
0: even counting sheep wouldn't help me go to sleep. <laughs> You're an impressive guy, Adam. I'm telling you what. It it doesn't take much to get you excited, does it?
3: Oh, well, you know, maybe maybe anything that uh has a fragrant odor of food that helps very often um, you know one of one of a few things. So
0: Well, we do have a a really great show today. We've got a great guest. Speaking of the 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 great guest, the reason we're having this gentleman on today is because of your emails. You have been sending Adam and I emails requesting uh more from the noahides you want to hear the journeys you you want to hear about why they did what they did and where they're going and where they're at now and uh, we appreciate those emails and we're going to dwell on this aspect uh for a while I, I guess until you get tired of it and you let us know hey enough from the noahides uh i don't know that that'll ever happen but uh we're responding to what you had, had asked for more of in this show
3: we're trying to bring some interesting Noahides to uh, to the show, and not to say that some of you are uninteresting Noahides, but um, th- but we're, we've got we've got a really interesting guy here. today. Well, I
0: think I think by virtue of being a Noahide, it's inevitable that interesting it just is a default position. It, it's automatic because it, it's not an easy road. It's even harder to find. It takes dedicated people who I think are just by their nature, are just interesting because of who they are and who, who they've become. So right. I, I think uh, by virtue of that, they're all going to be great guests. And, and by the way, if any of you would like to be a part of the Noahide Nation show and share your stories, please do let us know. You can contact us at Noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, at com. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest, and he's a friend that I've just recently made over the past, oh, I don't know, six, eight months. He's a great guy. He lives up in Canada. We're going to go ahead and bring him on here, uh, Mr. Prescott Johnson. Prescott, are you there with us?
1: Yes, I am. Hi, Ray. Hi, Adam.
0: How you doing, Prescott? Well, welcome well, Welcome to the show. Sounds like you're doing well up there in Canada.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. We're... Uh... I think we're faring a little better Uh, than some of the folks south of the border of us, uh, which, uh, of course, is a concern right now uh, economically with what's going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, And I have a pretty good job that I don't have to really worry about losing any time in the near future, I don't think so. Well,
0: I was wondering what you were referring to, uh, you know, in terms of being better than the folks south of the border. I didn't know if it was the stormy weather with all this global warming hitting us all at once or uh, whether it was the stormy economy. So it'd be a great story both, but uh, today we're going to be talking about your journey to becoming a Noahide. Let me ask you this, I already mentioned to the folks who are up in Canada, whereabouts in Canada are you?
1: I live way out on the east coast along uh, the uh, Atlantic Ocean, just above Maine, Provinces Nova Scotia, and uh, I live in Truro, which is right smack dab in the center of the province.
0: Wow, do you live uh, near the ocean?
1: Um, in Nova Scotia, uh, it's kind of an odd-shaped piece of land that actually is surrounded completely by the ocean, except for uh, about 50 miles, I think, where it's attached to the mainland, uh, New Brunswick. So you, you can drive about 30 minutes from any location in Nova Scotia and find yourself at the ocean's edge.
0: Well, wow. I might be uh, coming up to your neck of the woods to do a little fishing.
1: Ah, absolutely and uh you know and and it is uh, still very uh, rural and uh and quite a beautiful uh uh rustic area and particularly cape breton uh, which uh has the uh, uh cape breton highlands uh probably one of the reasons why uh our forebears found it so homey here because it was very much like uh scotland uh, nova scotia of course is uh I believe Latin for New Scotland. So,
3: do you do you, do you eat haggis? Uh,
1: n- no, um, <laughs> I I have met folks that uh, claim they have. Hmm. <laughs> Just wondering, if this have... is New
3: Scotland. Maybe you have new haggis available for, for buy at the market. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no, uh, and 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 I've never had the uh, opportunity, and, and I'm not sure that I'd want to take the opportunity to uh, to try it. Uh, w- anybody that I've heard has not given me glowing reports
3: i would love to have the opportunity to refuse to try it
0: <laughs> 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 yeah i don't think that's going to be happening uh, here in the states so so prescott tell me how a guy living in rural nova scotia near the ocean how did you find your way to becoming a noahide i mean what was what was your belief system before and you know how, how did you get to where you are today
1: Uh, Well, it's um, not that hard, I guess. Here uh, we have um, a a lot of churches. Of course, the East Coast was settled before uh, folks moved inland. So it was a very religious area, and still there are many, many churches in the area, although I don't know that they're faring as well as they uh, have in the past. But I grew up uh, in a Christian home. In fact, uh, my grandparents were uh, quite religious as well my grandfathers on both sides of the family uh, were uh, very uh, astute bible students and uh, they they really had uh, a deep interest in the things of god as christians and uh, as did my parents and so i know one of the earliest uh, memories that i had growing up uh, in fact was uh, you know when we were kids there's Myself and I have three brothers, and we're about two years between each of us, and so uh, we were quite close uh, together, and of course, as you can imagine, uh, our ages being that close, there was a lot of uh, fighting and uh, so on that went on <laughs> uh, growing up, uh, but uh, one of the most vivid memories I have is when we, be, we would be put to bed. We would always try to find reasons to stay up, or you know, we needed a, a glass of water, which I need right now, so I'm going to take a, a drink. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> there we go. Uh, I even got my props here. Or or I'd have to go to the bathroom, or there'd be some reason to uh, leave our bedrooms to go down the hall. And after we were sent to bed for a long time, my parents, you would be able to see them sharing a light uh, between the two of them, as they would both be uh, reading uh, their Thompson Chain Reference Bibles. So the Bible was always very important, uh, and going to church was very important. Uh, they were Pentecostals, uh, and so I, I grew up in the Pentecostal setting um, and got saved, I guess. I went, uh, went forward as a child and became a Christian at the age of eight, even though before that I was always very conscious uh, and aware, uh, believed in God, and talked to God, Um, And at the age of 10, I was baptized in water at the church. Uh, At the age of 12, at the children's camp in the summer.
3: um, I think if you're getting baptized as a child at a summer camp, I think it would be more effective to baptize them in (laughs)
0: Kool-Aid. I guess that officially made you a card-carrying member, though.
1: (laughs) Well... Um, now I know that there there's all kinds of different ideas about water baptism that christians uh that various Christian groups have um for my for myself growing up uh the pastor wanted to uh make sure that you were old enough to really understand you know what was involved mm-hmm. and the kind of commitment that was involved to actually be water baptized so uh but uh, it, it was full immersion, and so it would have taken quite a bit of Kool-Aid to actually deal with the amount of water that was required. It would have needed the
3: Kool-Aid man to, to show up and jump in yes, here, Exactly, yes. yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I, and I know that since leaving the church, and, and perhaps one of the reasons why I almost feel compelled to talk about that is, that I've had a number of people suggest that I was never really a Christian, and that uh, if I was a real Christian, I would never have left, and and so on. You know, my, my credentials are that of many other sincere Christians uh, growing up in the church. I was very involved. In fact, uh, at one point, uh, most people figured that I would grow up and end up going to Bible school uh, and becoming a minister, which actually my brother did end up doing. And uh, so... As I got older, uh, about the age of 21, I ended up leaving the Pentecostal church, not because I was questioning doctrine or anything like that, but simply because of political problems that took place. And this led me to a number of other church experiences, which um, after going uh, to, uh, you know, from charismatic churches to Baptist churches and being very involved with them and and ultimately, uh, the last I guess organized church that I attended was the Vineyard uh, Church, which was a uh, what they I guess they call a third wave uh, charismatic church. That uh, that was the last organized church that I went to. And as I came out of it, I really had I, I really started having questions in my mind. Not so much about. Jesus or you know questioning the validity of Christianity. Uh, what I began questioning was the connection or the relationship between the New Testament that I had spent so much time reading and what I had come to accumulate in my experiences in the church. And that I didn't see the connection or I started seeing that there was less connection to the New Testament uh, compared to what I was seeing in the church, both in the types of uh, the type of community that I was reading about in the New Testament was something quite different, and uh, that was really the beginning of my I guess the question marks that were appearing in my mind
3: that's interesting that's a much different Um, approach I think that a lot of Noahites seem to take it's usually a Jesus question that gets them into it now when you say a different type of community are you saying that you saw you had this um, this uh, Pentecostal community this this, uh, very Gentile community versus a Jewish community is that what you mean by is that what you're talking about or did you mean something else I I
1: think that that really is probably what it was at the time Um, the uh, in, in looking back uh, when I was reading early in the book of Acts I, I would read about how they broke bread together how they were uh, spending time in the temple uh, uh, and how that uh, they were uh, looking after each other's needs in, um, in really tangible ways that, uh, and that this was not something that was really uh, to me w- there was a clear disconnect Uh, to the kind of, and it wasn't just Pentecostal experiences. As I said, I I spent uh, more than a couple of years in a Baptist church and was quite involved in it, which is very different from, uh, say, a Pentecostal church. And and while I met a lot of really wonderful people in the church, and I, I have no problem saying that my experience in the church was by and large positive in spite of whatever, you know, uh, problems I may have had along the way with uh, certain uh, pastors, uh, sometimes struggling with my questioning, you know, why, I guess, uh, certain ideas seem to be, uh, let's see, well, I guess, uh, how can I best explain this? Uh, it, it, for instance, as a Pentecostal, there's a lot of emphasis on speaking in tongues. Yes. Um and that the doctrine of the Church that I grew up in was that speaking in tongues was the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I began questioning that as a teenager because I didn't see that the New Testament supported that kind of idea, that it was the initial evidence of the speaking in tongues and that was the focus of the Church. So. So for me, it was really about trying to reconcile what I was continuing to learn from reading my Bible and rereading my Bible with what the kinds of doctrines that were being proposed by the churches that I was involved in.
3: Now, you know, as a Pentecostal, I've, the Pentecostals I've talked to—it's very much a experiential kind of religion. You're 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 thrown through. You're 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 constantly having experiences. Uh, a, some sort of divine experience. Now, as a Pentecostal yourself, did you feel like you were having those um, or not? Uh, was part of your skepticism that you were told that, you know, you would you, you would experience these and you didn't feel like you were? Or did you actually feel like you were experiencing these, but then the, what you're reading didn't quite gel? Uh,
1: that last comment summarized it perfectly, that uh, I did have um, uh, many... Uh, unusual experiences, uh, dreams, and various, I guess, what some people might call manifestations of the Spirit. And I think that that probably was, it was those experiences that probably kept my head in the game, as it were. Certainly the intellectual part of me that was given to reading the Bible uh, still nonetheless ultimately brought things into question regardless of those experiences and uh and i can look back and i i uh, i know that i shared a, a little bit with uh, ray one uh, just the other day about uh, certain experiences so uh he's probably you know saying oh do we really want to go into that story <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: maybe uh, an edited version <laughs> I don't know if we have the time today
1: <laughs> no you're you're right and and so I, I'll just I'll, I'll just uh, leave it perhaps at the uh, maybe I'll just uh, uh, because I think that another uh, story actually is much shorter to tell. Uh, I probably have a more uh, nuanced I, I wouldn't say sympathetic but a, a more nuanced approach to a lot of these things. Um, because of my own experience i 've heard a lot of people really speak quite negatively uh, about these things after the fact after they leave christianity and there 's no doubt in my mind that there is a lot of hyper emotionalism that goes on in a lot in a lot of, uh, in a lot of uh, religions that focus on religious experience i 'm not convinced that all all of those religious experiences are illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we need to be very discerning about what those things are really telling us.
0: Well, I think, Um, too, uh, Prescott, forgive me. Uh, In fact, on the contrary, the experiences that we're having, the the fact that somebody may have a belief system that is is alien to that of Torah or they they have a belief system in in a false God, does not mean that Hashem, that our Creator, does not work in their lives. And right. I mean that right. experience can be easily explained. It's what the 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 problem is is they're taking that experience and attaching it to a a given name, the the name right. of their right. god, whoever it might be.
3: Right. And you know yep. this actually is very similar to um, what we read about in the book the the Kuzari, right. uh, written by Judah Halevi. Which basically right. the, the, the the premise of the story is is there's this um this 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 king of this this tribe called the Kuzars. And um, he is a very religious guy, a very religious pagan he has starts having dreams and in, in the dream he's told that uh, your intentions are good are good but your actions aren't you need to get the right religion and it sounds like um, in some ways this, this is sort of applicable to the Pentecostal um, right. mm-hmm. situation.
1: yeah I, I think yeah I guess the word that we're looking for is that we're we're always Taking those things and putting the fitting them into our context. When you have the right context, all of a sudden the meaning of those things can often change. Mm. And that's because once you get the right context, and and I also believe that uh, that Hashem, as he he sees where we're at. I mean, I mean it'd be kind of like uh, it'd be kind of like. Uh, us deciding we're going to meet up in, say, West Virginia. I think that's about the midpoint between uh, you guys and myself. Mm-hmm. And we were going to meet up in West Virginia, and I was trying to give you my directions for getting there as though they would be applicable to you.
3: Right. And
1: uh, and the fact is is that I think that that Hashem was speaking to me from where I was to get me to where He wanted me to go.
3: That's very interest. That's very interesting. And you know, um, even talking even further. About this we have the situations where um, pagan kings are actually having um, dreams and they 're actually le- legitimately prophecies from God, right. and, and they 're receiving these, but they don 't understand how to interpret them, and their they're, 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 well, yeah. they're, 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 they're sages don 't understand how to interpret them, it takes the a person coming from the pure monotheism of uh, being a noahide at you know, time in Genesis or you know, Judaism to actually interpret those for them.
1: Well, certainly Nebuchadnezzar is a good example of that. Absolutely, yeah. So, and, and I think that this is, and this is why I, I know that uh, the uh, there's no two journeys that are the same. And I think that the, the reason why I jumped at the uh, opportunity of being able to share my story was because I know that there are people out there, uh, Christians out there, who are. Uh, are also struggling with those things, and uh, oftentimes when you're just dealing with a theological or a doctrinal debate, it gets lost to the the credibility of their experience. Uh, their experience. Exactly. A, that's
3: a great. That's a great point. It really is.
1: So I guess uh, for myself, after as I say, when I was uh, reading the New Testament and finding this what I understood to be the earliest. Uh, Christian community. I was wrongly calling it a Christian community, but that correction would come later. <laughs> that uh, that I saw something that I wanted to see emulated in my own life, uh, and I, and so there were several others at that time that uh, I thought were interested in the similar journey. Uh, Judaism wasn't even in the question at the time. wasn't wasn't you know a part of the uh, the landscape. Uh, this was literally about trying to be more sincere and devoted in our, our Christian life. And, um, and during that period in time, I had ended up being very involved in leading several friends uh, to become Christians. And in the course of doing so, uh, one of them, as I, as I became involved in discipling them, we were going through the Book of Romans and he was, had previously been an atheist when I first met him. And as we were going through the book of Romans, him now being the, a believer, a Christian, um, that uh, he started asking me questions about the law. And I said, well, you know, because uh, in, in Romans it's kind of like Paul's great treatise on faith and truth and the law and how this all works together with Jews and Gentiles, etc., and I gave him the tried and true Christian line of thinking that uh, the law uh, was given to the Jewish people, but now that, uh, that uh, Jesus had come and had died on the cross, we no longer needed to observe all of the law. We had to keep the Ten Commandments, and of course I always cross my fingers uh, regarding the Sabbath, but um, you know, we had to keep the Ten Commandments. And he went away and he thought about it and he came back to me and he said, well, I I don't see it that way. It sounds to me like it's saying we're supposed to obey the whole law.
0: Well, that's a great place for us to break here, uh, Prescott, because that is exactly correct. And uh, we do need to uh, stop for the break because Israel National Radio needs to pay a few bills. So we're going to be back on the other side. We're speaking with Prescott Johnson, who's a Noahite in Canada. We hope you'll all stick with us. We'll see you on the other side. See you
3: in a bit.
2: The Jewish holiday of Shavuot is the commemoration
1: of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. It ends the Omer period and the wandering in the
2: desert after the exodus from Egypt. It is traditional to stay up all night and study Torah. Dairy foods are served instead of meat or chicken. Shavuot begins this year Thursday evening, May 28th. It is celebrated for one day in Israel and for two days
1: in other countries. Israel National Radio would like to wish all its listeners a happy and meaningful Shavuot.
2: Praying for 40 days straight at the Western Wall in Jerusalem is a famous Jewish practice. Many have made the pilgrimage to pray for marriage, income, children, or healing. Now you too can have a 40-day prayer. Western Wall Prayers will employ a full-time Torah student to pray on your behalf or on behalf of a loved one for 40 days straight at the wall. If you need a special prayer, visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org.
0: Welcome back, everybody. We're glad you stuck around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show here on IsraelNationalRadio.com. We've got a very interesting and and just a, a, a great guest. Prescott's been with us for the last half hour talking about his journey becoming a Noahide. Prescott, you were uh, at the end of the last segment, you were kind of talking about Paul and, and Romans and you know not keeping the law to then keeping the law. Can you kind of pick up from there?
1: Uh, sure. this was the first time that really anybody had ever sort of caught me off guard with this because normally what happens is that Christians will sort of accept the explanation and and this guy, this young Christian who didn't know his Bible as well as I did, was telling me I didn't know what I was talking about because <laughs> what he was reading was telling him something different.
3: That's, that's always, now, it's always dangerous. Those, those young guys will just, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm confused. I think someone's stupid here. It's <laughs> me.
1: <laughs> well, well exactly. And, and so it really put me in this awkward position of having to, now I had to prove my point. But in the midst of doing that and, and in and around the same time, I ended up having, uh, I, I laid down one day uh, in the afternoon and I had this dream. Without going into the specifics of the dream, what became apparent to me when I woke from the dream was that in a period of three to five months, something uh, important was going to happen in my life and I had no idea what it was and this was in February. And so in May, all of a sudden out of the blue, I had this incredible need this incredible desire to plant a garden. Uh, I went out and bought all kinds of new garden utensils and all the rest of it and got ready to plant my garden and went out and, you know, got the soil ready and planted seeds. And I was holding my breath at that point because I was like, you know, are these seeds going to grow or are they not? You know, the first time I'd really planted a garden when I was a kid, I probably planted some seeds. But, you know, I was really doubtful as to whether i figured I planted them too deep or not deep enough. Right. Several days later when I went up to check on my garden, I saw this green leaf poking up through these from these carrot seeds that I had planted. And I got so excited because, you know, here here's this this thing's growing. It's actually growing. It, it's amazing that I put this seed in the ground and up it comes through the earth and it's growing into a plant. And I was so excited. I was dancing around in the garden. And this very Still, quiet voice spoke to me and said, If this carrot can obey my law, why can't you? Mm -hmm. This was so counterintuitive to anything that I had uh, ever thought about the law. What does the law have to do with a carrot? So I began reading uh, the Torah, I began reading Genesis. Now, I'd read the entire Bible many times as a Christian. But this time I was reading the book of Genesis very differently. And as I started in the first chapter and realized that God spoke and the result of God speaking resulted in all of creation coming into being and doing what creation does and continues to do to the modern era, I realized that this carrot was simply responding to the word of God and that God created it that way. And I had grown up with a theology that, I couldn't obey God; that I couldn't keep the law because it's impossible because I'm a sinful creature. And
3: which that which, which the, theologically, that's how you were created. Pardon? Theologically, that's how you were created. The claim is: is the reason you can't keep it is because God created, or you know, because of original sin. And right. so, so you know, going down through the generations, so you were, in a, in a sense, you were you were predisposed towards not being being able to keep God's word.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and what became clear to me for the first time, I realized God didn't make a mistake when he created creation. Why do I have a theology that tells me that he made a mistake when he created me? Now, I understand that there are going to be objections to that point from the other side, but the fact is is that it's not until you reach the New Testament that you have this idea that we're predisposed to sin, that we are sinful from the time that we are conceived. Mm-hmm. That pre- uh, prior to that, we've always had the choice. It was always a choice about doing the right or doing the wrong. And, of course, we get to the story of Cain and Abel and how you know God speaks to Cain and warns him. He says, you know, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Well, that doesn't sound like he was suffering from original sin.
3: No. <laughs> so, so now you've got this new perspective that says that um, maybe... Maybe God knew what he was doing.
1: Yeah. And so the problem that I was having with the law from my poor theology was beginning to take a turn. So when I went back into the New Testament and was reading the New Testament, uh, at that point I had started reading uh, later in uh, through the middle of the book of Acts, which is where Paul's involved in all his missionary journeys. And I come to Acts chapter 21 where Paul shows up in Jerusalem with, these Gentiles with him to go to a Jewish festival, which was kind of an odd thing given what we believe about Paul saying that, uh, you know, we're not supposed to be observing these uh, special days and and so on as Christians. And uh, here is Paul and he goes and he meets with the elders, the Jewish elders in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21, and they're bragging about the many thousands of Jews who were zealous for the law. And when I read that, I stopped and I said, "Hold on here! I know that I've read this book. Got to be more than a hundred times by this time. I was in my early thirties. I know that I've read this many times. I've never seen this before. Where did that come from? And
3: maybe that maybe, be- maybe it was there all the time.
0: <laughs> it is it amazing. Was there all the t- <laughs> it's amazing how much we're able to read and yet still be blind." <laughs>
1: And this is, and this really was the thing that opened my eyes. This is why this new Christian could read the Book of Romans and see something that I couldn't see, though I'd been a Christian for all of my life.
3: He didn't have that uh, overwhelming uh, predisposition to understanding the New Testament from a particular standpoint.
1: Exactly. Or exactly. grow a garden. Right. Yes, he or didn't or grow a garden, garden. either. <laughs> yes. <no>.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so this really was was a transformation that gave me insight into my original question, which was, why was this community that I read about in the book of Acts different from what I was experiencing in the church in in this present age? And that was the first clue that showed me the difference between what was happening at that time versus what was happening then. And I gave myself to studying... Uh, continuing to studying the law and continuing to read the New Testament and realizing that, with this new set of glasses on, all of a sudden the things in the New Testament took on a whole different light. Nothing, I, I couldn't read anything and see it the same way anymore.
3: Hmm. That's, that's, that's and, very interesting.
1: And and ultimately, uh, it, it's kind of like you know, I had the rationalization, you know, the the famous verse Matthew uh, five seventeen, uh, do not think I've come to. Uh, you know, abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And I had the classical Christian response to that. Yes, at the cross he fulfilled it, right. and therefore I don't have to. <laughs> but if you actually continue reading, what does he say? He says, until heaven and earth disappear, not war, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will disappear. Right. But there further to that, he then says, anyone who breaks the least, of these commandments, and he wasn't talking about the Ten Commandments, he was talking about the written
3: Torah. Right.
1: He says, anybody who breaks the least of those commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, and that's if you only break one. Right. He says, blessed are those who practice and teach others all of the commandments. And it's kind of like, well, that was always there before. How come I didn't read it that way?
0: Because you weren't taught it that way. Exactly. So, uh, you know, you your experience is similar to uh, having to do what Abraham did. I mean, you had to, uh, I'm, I'm not kidding, we yep. all have to uh, figure out ways intellectually, experientially, to remove ourselves from idolatry. And right. it's because we've been conditioned quite literally brainwashed that here we are having to uh, you know clean ourselves up and we're doing it alone for the most part
3: Now so this led you from from um, you've come to this 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 point where you suddenly realize that not only um, not only is this question your, your your friend asked you about the law not only was you right to ask it but there was actually merit even from the the mouth of Jesus himself, that that uh, people were supposed to be keeping the law. So um, I, I suppose this m- must have inspired you to, to move forward and maybe start learning a little bit about Judaism. Was there a, a natural connection there? Um, how did you get into this, this whole rabbinic Judaism? How did you wind up in this whole realm of being a Noahide?
1: Uh, probably the uh, shortest path to explain that would be that it went through – the doors of a Messianic congregation
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for about two months. Oh,
3: wow. It
1: took me two months to figure out that what I was seeing still wasn't matching up with what I was hearing from this Messianic congregation, which still was very steeped in Christian theology.
3: Mm.
1: And I was there in uh, uh I, as I say it was about two months, and I know that they were really happy to see us uh because they they didn't have a very large congregation <laughs> and It was very clear that I was somewhat of a zealot uh and and i don't i I don't have any problem saying that because by that time I'd actually started growing payous and i you know i had um uh, made my own tzitzit and and had gone through the steps to try and and Find a way to make my life resemble what I was reading in the Torah, because mm-hmm. I still had my my replacement theology was still there. Yeah, I still believed that the New Testament that 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 Jesus was still the Messiah, and that really came in time after I left um, uh, left. The Messianic congregation, and started doing some searching online to try and get some of those questions answered. I ended up uh, uh, dealing with the um, uh, with the zarim in Ra'anana, Israel. Right. Uh, that that was started by a um, an ex Baptist minister. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I uh, uh, and it was there that I found uh, you know this very compelling. Argument regarding a lot of the uh, dogmatic uh, theology that was a part of my Christian upbringing, uh, where I began to see the error of uh, the Trinity and and uh, and and many of those doctrines were dealt with during that period in time. And uh, and my first encounter, uh, which probably would have been during that time, but it really was difficult for me to embrace. Uh, But my first encounter uh, with the idea of the Noahide laws came through a a translation of the New Testament by uh, uh, Schoenfield, and uh, I think it's called the Original New Testament. And in a footnote in Acts chapter 15, which was the great uh, council at Jerusalem where they were deciding what to do with Gentiles, we see uh, James giving this instruction about the consumption of blood, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, eating the meat that was offered to idols and so on. And uh, he he footnotes it and he says, you know, this was this seems to be based on the Noahide laws. Well, I, I didn't know anything about the Noahide laws, and uh, over time, um, as I continued to. Do, as I continued to study and, and wrestle this thing through, I began to see uh, the actual the appearance of, of Noahides in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. I'd always miss, just been told that they were Gentiles. Right. Um, but it turns out that no, they weren't just Gentiles. These were actually Noahides. Uh, the first so called uh, convert to Christianity, a Gentile convert, was a man named Cornelius. But how he's introduced in the picture is that this guy was in his backyard praying at about 3 in the afternoon, I believe, and he was known for giving charity. Now, those are pretty important words when we study Judaism and and understand the Noahide laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, an angel appears to Cornelius and tells him, you know, that God has heard your prayers, they've come up as a memorial offering... Back to my Christian theology. No, 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 that can't happen. How, how can this guy have a relationship with God when he's not a Christian?
3: Right, or even a Jew. But from what's that? Or even a Jew. I mean, at, at the very least, yeah. uh, you know, before the cross, there's this idea that Jews have it right in some in some regard, and uh, after the cross, suddenly they're wrong.
1: Well, well, yeah. And but what we find with Cornelius and also the earliest uh, ones who turned to the message these were noahides who were in the synagogues that Paul was visiting. Yeah. These were not these were not reprobates and drunkards. These were people that had already conformed their life to observing the Torah according to the tradition that the Jewish people held to and and were teaching these non-Jews.
3: Now this is a this is it becomes an interesting question one of the things I think that that non Jews struggle with when they're coming out of Christianity, which is very much a a text only religion unless you're a Catholic or you know whatever right. um the, the the problem that they they come across is Judaism doesn't just um teach out of a book because if they did that, I think it would be much easier for them to just go, "Okay, I was a Christian, but now I'm going to be involved in Judaism somehow, but instead Judaism actually has not just a written tradition but an oral tradition as well. So, right. how were you able to accept this? Because this is really a a huge hurdle for some people who who have already given up JC and and all the other stuff. But here comes the next hurdle. Now they have to accept something new, which is that there's an oral tradition. So, how did you sort of uh, you know jump that hurdle, if you will?
1: Uh, that that again came through, um, and and uh, probably uh, uh, let's hold our breaths. Uh, That came through the New Testament yet again. That the minute that you make a claim, for instance, that it is only the the written Torah that is the truth, and that the written Torah tells us you can't add or take away to it, and therefore if the rabbis did this, this is wrong. Well, if it was wrong for the rabbis to do it, wasn't it wrong for Jesus to do it? Sure. And yet what he does is he clearly gives... More detailed explanations to the or or to the written torah
3: mm-hmm.
1: well, how can you criticize the rabbis for doing this when the whole Christian tradition depends on it
3: interesting very yes. interesting and,
1: and so when we get to and even uh, of, of course uh, I think in matthew twenty three uh, what does Jesus say and I learned this uh, with the Netzerim, and and I appreciate that organization for uh, really helping me with this. But in Matthew 23, what does it say? It says, uh, Jesus himself says that the Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses' authority. Mm-hmm. And therefore you must do what they tell you to do. So when you come to this community in the book of Acts, that's what they, they were They they were so far from anything having to do with what Christianity is today. Yeah. But I ultimately believe, and of course, then you have to ask the question: Well, if you keep referring to this group, do you believe that they were um, that they were right, that they were on the right track? And my answer to that is that, to the degree that they followed Torah, they were on the right track, but they got the wrong guy.
3: Right, they have the wrong Messiah. They've got right. the, yep. the wrong. <laughs> thing. Well, you know, this is really interesting. So, if we could summarize basically what you've said, I think this is kind of good for the people listening out there. So basically, keeping Torah, keeping the oral tradition, being a Noahide, you've got all of these things from the New Testament. The New Testament yeah. itself actually seems to teach each of these these, these things as being important to, to the Christian. That's if you divorce it from a theology that, that uh, doesn't seem to be part of the original text.
1: Exactly. In, in other words, in, you have to do the exact opposite of what Christianity does. Christianity looks at the Torah through the lens, not even of the New Testament, but of right. the Christian tradition.
3: That's a that's an excellent point because I've i found that many times. Um, I used to get so frustrated actually talking to Christians because um, you know we we would debate back and forth, and you know I wasn't seeing what they were saying, in the, in, even in their New Testament. And it finally I finally read if you know through study and, and whatever. I finally realized that that, that what it was going on was I wasn't debating the, the New Testament I was debating Christian theology.
1: Exactly, yes.
3: And that yeah. was the that was a big thing.
1: And once and once you and once you spend enough time in Torah, uh it becomes self-evident that there has to be an oral tradition. Right. Be- because at, you will come to a point where you'll realize that without without that oral tradition, uh it, it makes it makes as much sense as asking a Christian to literally follow the New Testament to the T every line yeah can't be done mm-hmm. and and in fact the tradition that I think emerged later on with the Christian church was largely to address that that the, it was really about developing a tradition that a community could follow mm. and uh, and and I think that the analogy holds true that there's no religion no matter how literalist no matter how fundamentalist that does not have ultimately have an oral tradition of some sort right that is needed to reconcile the text that they are using
3: i always think about the movie uh, uh, what is it a few good men how they have the, yeah. the big debate on the, the the stand how do you get to the mess hall right yep. uh, <laughs> yep. well it 's not in the military handbook, how do you get the who knows you know, but you know everybody was everybody was getting getting fed somehow so yep.
0: <laughs> well i 'd like to revisit this whole carrot and garden thing i kind of <laughs> had I kind of had the same experience last year, last year was the first year i 'd ever grew my own garden. And oh. I experienced the exact same thing that you're talking about. And, the, you know, there's many of the sages uh, uh, teach that, that, you know, that's a proof of, of Hashem. That is an absolute proof of Hashem is, is the nature. And even more interesting is that I believe it's the Midrash teaches us that Noah... Was the one responsible for the creation or invention, if you will, of farming implements?
3: Right. That's that's actually where his uh, his name Noah actually means rest. Actually, his right. notion of rest, and right. that uh, the reason he was such a special child was because prophetically they understood that in some way that, there, that he would uh, bring uh, rest to the to uh, the world, and, and one of the ways that that's done is he l- lessens the. The, the burden, burden of, right. the, of the curse of adam right. of course it also right. you know can also be interpreted to mean he brought rest to the earth which was being defiled and destroyed by the incredible sin of his generation
0: right or just both right both. because yeah. i think uh you know later on when the Torah was given then the sabbatical year for the land was uh implemented right so that sabbatical year is is vitally important it, to me it doesn't seem like you have to be a Jew to do that well it's something that that farmers it, should just do in it's general it's
3: especially important that you're not uh drowning your farmland in blood and that was the problem before the flood The flood was that uh, human blood was being shed.
0: Right. And on that note, we're going to have to uh, call it a show, folks. It's been wonderful to have Prescott with us. Uh, Prescott, I want to thank you. It was a, a joy and, a, and an honor and a privilege to have you on board with us today.
1: My pleasure, Ray.
0: For all you folks out there, we appreciate you once again sharing your time with us because it is important, and we want to do what we can to make you happy. So keep those emails coming with your comments and suggestions. And in the meantime, please, folks, always look to the heavens for your strength in Hashem because I guarantee He is always looking out for you. See you next week.
3: Shalom Yotia.
2: Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menashe Sofer's airport service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP meet and assist shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben Gurion International Airport. Online at msoferairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menashe Sofer Airport travel, speed and service. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com.
0: Elon White's a certified electrician, and what I like about it is he only uses Jewish labor. This time we went for a professional because I said, enough, I want somebody who's going to get it done right. It was so nice to have somebody who spoke English. And he came in, he put the ceiling fan in, we were very, very happy with him.
1: Need an electrician? Jerusalem, Gush and throughout Israel for installations of Shabbos clocks, fans, indoor and outdoor lighting, and much, much more. Email E-L-A-N-W-H-I-T-E
3: at gmail.com. That's White at gmail.com.